dead ass all night. Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 29, Friday, January 18th, 2019. In this podcast, I'm just going to jump into some quick hitters, then we will dive into some college hoops talk, and then we'll finish up with a preview of the NFL Conference Championship Games. Let's get right to it. Okay, let's get it going. Congratulations to R. Lee Jr. 86 for winning the first ever DraftKings Sports Betting National Championship last weekend. But it did not come without controversy. I'm going to dive into that right now because it was a very hot topic last week in the sports betting world and even touched, it was touched on in the just general news world. Um, It's kind of a long story, so I'm going to try and condense it for you. So basically, DraftKings announced uh, a couple months ago that they're going to host a sports betting national championship contest. And it was a $10,000 buy-in, but they had a guaranteed prize pool of, I believe, $2.5 million. So... Um, obviously, they needed a few hundred people to, to join that, and there ended up being an overlay in this, meaning that there were not enough people that did the $10,000 buy-in that there were for the guaranteed prize pool. So DraftKings, they were uh, they were dipping into their own pocket for part of the prize pool. So it was the first of its kind, and it took place in, actually, it was anywhere in New Jersey. You had to sign up in New Jersey, and you could have placed the bets on their app anywhere within the state lines, but they actually had a warehouse set up um, somewhere in New Jersey with it was actually a really sick setup that they had, like tons of TVs and uh, lounging chairs, couches, whatever, and it was like a nice little setup for people to go watch the games, and actually you could make your bets there as well. So basically, this took place over three days last weekend. I touched on the podcast last week. It was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of last week, but DraftKings had a rule that on Sunday... Um, and, and people knew the, the standings going into everything, and you knew what bets people made thir- roughly 30 minutes after they made a bet. It was all um, it was all out in the open for everybody. But basically, Sunday, the, the rule was you can only bet on the two NFL games. Now, that brings a lot of game theory into play, obviously, because when you could see the standings, you know um, how much you're ahead or behind guys. And, that, and it wasn't winner-take-all. I should also stipulate that. They had a pay out to, I believe, the top 15 to 20 people, but the first place uh, prize, the national champion, so to speak, won $1 million. That's a hefty sum. Uh, and I believe the, the payouts were, you know, second, third, fourth, you know, you got 500000 250000 blah, blah, blah. It's all big money, but these are $10,000 buy-ins we're talking about as well. So basically, they had that rule on Sunday that you can only bet on those two games. And you knew where the other guys were in the standings by that point, um, and I should actually backtrack a little bit. I'm getting lost in the weeds already, but everyone started out with a $5,000 bankroll and it was their actual money too, that they used part of the, the $10,000 buy and 5,000 went towards that bankroll and it was used on the DraftKings app for the contest. And you got to keep whatever money you ended up with at the end with that $5,000 bankroll. The rule was whoever had the highest bankroll at the end of the three days won the national championship and you know, so on for the, the payouts. So, it was really interesting to pay attention to this contest just because of the game theory involved. And the takeaway from that was that there were no, um, there was no clear way to win the contest. You saw guys take different strategies. I think the most common strategy was uh, to build a big bang on Friday night. And I should also say this, that sports bettors in general, this, this wasn't an accurate representation on how to be a, a successful sports better. Um, and that's 
that's obvious. Obviously, the guys that took place in this contest touched on that as well, because when you're trying to build a big bankroll to win a contest, game theory takes takes over. And and obviously, parlays were needed to be done in order to win this. And any winning long-term, long-term winning sports, uh, professional sports better knows that uh, parlays is not the way to do that. So obviously, it wasn't a real accurate representation of being a good sports better, but um, a good contest player instead. And you saw guys rolling parlays to try and build up a big bankroll on Friday. A lot of guys zeroed out on Friday right off the bat. They lost their $5,000 $5, bankroll, and that was it. But guys that were able to get a big bankroll, hit a couple parlays, and you can also parlay player props on the DraftKings app out there, so it's there's a lot of edges to be found. A lot of guys were finding some edges on different markets. You could bet into anything you wanted to those first two days. So... Basically what happened, and you had one guy too who actually didn't even, I think he was a professional poker player, he had an interesting strategy. He just sat on his $5,000 until Saturday. He saw what other people were doing and then ended up getting to play on Saturday um, with his $5,000. So there's, And he ended up doing quite well with that as well. So there's interesting just to pay attention to the game strategy, but as Saturday was ending, it was starting to shape up heading into Sunday where obviously everybody was limited on what they could bet on. And... When Sunday began, uh, there was pretty clear, uh, I guess, like standings. You know, everybody knew where they were. And Rufus Peabody, at the end, and he's a famous, um, a semi-famous uh, professional uh, sports better. And he he actually is really good with golf analytics. I've heard him come onto podcasts and stuff. So he does this stuff for a living, and uh, he's very good at it as well. But uh, the way it was set up, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard of this, was at the end of the first game, he... Was he was in first place uh, because he had the Patriots in that first game, and the Patriots, as we remember, blew out the San Diego. Sorry, not the, um, yeah, I caught myself doing the San Diego Chargers. They blew out the LA Chargers in the first game, and it took. So the issue was obviously that game went pretty late. It actually dragged on forever, and only about I want to say like twenty to thirty minutes before the other game kicked off, that game finally ended, and. What happened was, for Rufus Peabody, he was going to be in first place at the end of that game, heading into the second game. And he sees the standing, so he knows exactly where he stands, and from a game theory standpoint, would be able to make his bets for the final game in accordance with where the other players in the contest uh, were standing, were sitting behind him. And so, with that knowledge, he was able to, you know, pretty much, I've said, I guarantee himself first place, but put himself in a spot where if his bets went well in the second game then he can win the million dollars, which is pure math. It's just a fact. But what happened was, and this is where the controversy came out, came into play, was the game ended and they DraftKings graded the game but did not fund his account. He had one penny in his account when the second game kicked off. They didn't fund his account in time, and due to the contest rules, he was not able to bet in that second game, so he was stuck. He was stuck with that bankroll. What ended up happening was he ended up getting third place. He claims he was going to make a wager on the some sort of wager on the Saints, um, and a lot of people tend to believe him. But if if he and it's kind of irrelevant to the story anyway, what he would or would not have done. But the fact of the matter was he could not and was not able to make the bet. So he finished in third place, taking home I believe two hundred fifty thousand or one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is still a damn nice payday. But damn, would you be frustrated? I mean, if it was a, any person, there would be life changing money, obviously. But that's a huge difference. And this guy took it remarkably in stride on Twitter throughout the week. I heard him go on interviews. But he 
was obviously very not not pleased with the situation. It was a nightmare. It was like a doomsday scenario for DraftKings, and they they had a mess to clean up because he was not the only one that this happened to as well. And the guys that ended up winning, you know, the our lead junior eighty six guy, he you know, kind of tarnishes his victory as well. I mean, I'm sure he's happy taking home a million dollars, but kind of you know his victory kind of got swamped by this whole this whole fiasco that happened. So what, a fact that I learned in the in the middle of the week, um, Johnny Avello, who's the head guy at DraftKings, they brought him on to a VEASAN show, and he basically said that they sent an email out um, earlier in the weekend or at some point in the weekend to all the contestants, basically acknowledging the fact that that was a possibility, that the games would get graded, but the accounts would not be funded. There's a lull period in their system, the, the way things are processed, and I guess the more people that bet on a game, and obviously there's a shit ton of handle on those games you know, throughout the entire state, um, it, t- it takes a little more time to, to grade the wagers and to fund the accounts. And this happened to a few players. But the sticking point here, and from the legal aspect, um, and I'm getting, I'll get to that in a moment, is that some players did get their games graded in time. Some players in the contests were able to get down on the second game. I heard that some guys that were able to physically be on location were able to to kind of speed up the process and get their bets down for the second game, including the guy that ended up winning it. Um, and the problem was some guys, including Rufus Peabody, who was in first place heading into that final game, they didn't. They were not able. They were their hands were tied because their accounts were not funded. So this caused an obvious uh, competitive disadvantage for uh, for a few of the players. And we actually saw finally this week a lawsuit has officially been filed in the state of New Jersey. Um, I believe it was, yeah. So, um, and that, that was filed by one of the, the other, it was not by Rufus Peabody, but it was another contestant who was harmed by this. And Rufus Peabody, has, he's denied comment when asked if he's going to look for uh, legal representation, but I think it's pretty clear that he's uh, he's talking to attorneys. And I'm sure there's going to be some sort of um, agreement that might be made behind closed doors here. I don't know if we'll ever really find out, but for me it's a very interesting scenario because it was... It was the worst-case scenario for DraftKings. They obviously were stuck. They had to pay out the legitimate winners, but there's this whole gaming integrity issues came into play, competitive disadvantage. There was, you could argue, negligence on the on behalf of DraftKings when they had a duty to certain duties involved. I'm not going to get bogged down too much into the lingo, to the legal lingo, but it is still an ongoing story. Um, Rufus Peabody should be, I think, admired, in my opinion, for how he's handled the situation. Most guys would... Probably, probably losing their shit. We did see one guy already filed that that case, that lawsuit. But it's a story that's not over with yet, and it's kind of unfortunate that this <laughs> entire um, contest was mired in controversy because I was actually looking forward to diving more into the the strategy involved um, in this podcast. But obviously now it's a legal case. But I think we're going to see a lot more of these contests. The big takeaway for me is that everything else I heard about the contest was it was awesome. It was so unique. So it was. Um, very well run. I mean, everything else went really well, and I heard from multiple sources. I've heard a few guys that were um, that were involved in it say that it, they would definitely do it again. So I think this is uh, the start of something we're going to see a lot more of. Obviously, places are going to notice the amount of money involved and the amount of press and PR that this gets for a sports book. So I think contests in the states where sports betting is legalized is going to be a big thing in the future. Uh, it just sucks that this one was was mired in controversy. I've alluded to it a few times already on earlier podcasts, but changes to the Wire Act, 
the U.S. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein issued a memorandum regarding the recent interpretation of the Federal Wire Act to include all forms of interstate gaming and not just sports betting, uh, which was the case. Uh, there was a fa- there was a case in 2011 where the court basically deemed it to only apply to sports betting. But in short, the Department of Justice released their opinion stating that it believes that under the Wire Act, all forms of interstate gambling or gaming are not and not just sports betting is illegal inter- interstate. So basically, and that's only if it's conducted across state lines. So how does this affect you now? Well, some think that this could this could have been a dark day for online gambling a few days ago when they released that memorandum, uh, at least to quote the people over at Legal Sports Report. Uh, they think it could have been a dark day, but um, since online sports betting and casino games and lotteries exist legally in several states now, Tons of transactional data can route across state lines, and even if the games themselves are taking place within the actual state borders themselves, and the payment systems involved can be impacted here as well. So in a nutshell, this is all coming under the federal purview now, and I expect this to end up in litigation at some point soon. I believe there's a timetable for that already, and other states might even end up waiting for more clarity on this before they jump fully into legalized sports betting so it's kind of a an ongoing saga right now i'm really excited to jump into it i'm actually starting my classes next week at uh, uh at university of new hampshire law school to get my certificate in sports and wagering integrity so i think it's gonna be something we're gonna touch on right off the bat so i'm gonna report back and any insights i gained from that class from the professor but um but i i think that basically the in a nutshell what we're looking at here is the basically the federal government sees all the money involved they know it's going to probably be implicated, or at least they're trying to argue that it, interstate commerce is going to be implicated and they're trying to get involved. So it's going to be an ongoing saga and I will have the updates for you on the Doggy Juice Pod. Sports betting looks like it will be coming to New York State soon now. They basically see New Jersey making all that money and they want to get in soon now. According to Legal Sports Report, New York Assemblyman Gary Pretlow is moving forward with pushing ahead a bill to authorize mobile sports betting in New York as soon as next month. Um, yeah, I think this is directly correlated to the fact that it was, it's basically, the numbers are now that New Jersey has had over $1.24 billion get wagered since June when they officially ushered in legalized sports betting last June, June 14th. And remember, that's handle and not hold the $1.24 billion. There are surprisingly some, uh, some congressmen and congresswomen that are, that are uh, confused by that concept, but that's very important because they're not holding $1.24 billion. It's handled, but at the same time, that's um, a huge amount of money, and it's only going to rise. And yesterday, also, another state nearby, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker introduced his own sports betting bill in the Massachusetts legislature. So it's coming. If you're listening to this podcast right now and don't really want to take anything away from it and, and uh, just want one thing, just want to bet on one thing moving forward and you're going to leave me forever, I'll tell you one thing that I would bet on long term that I can pretty much guarantee success. Find the coaches in sports, the major American sports or any sport, that embrace analytics and bet on them over the old school get-off-my-lawn types, and I'm pretty confident you will win in the long term. I really can't give any other long-term, almost assured locks that are better than that. More of a short-term money-making strategy, though. 
look to play on the New Orleans Pelicans right now that uh, Nikola Mirotic is back. We saw what happened when he was traded to the Pelicans last year from the Bulls. He was actually a big reason why the Bulls had to draft number seven last year. Uh, Bulls fans don't talk about that, but when he came back after his uh, his little fight with Bobby Portis, the team just tore it up to the point where the Bulls are like, shit, we are winning too many games. we got to trade this guy. Got a nice first-round pick from the Pelicans for him, but they they traded the Pel- him to the Pelicans last year, and he did really well. He meshed really well with the Pelicans, but he was injured this year. Um, he came back just now. He's healthy now, and we just saw him drop 29 points on the Warriors the other night. And I believe that the market may not be properly equating his value to the team right now, or at least at this point in time. So I think we got to pick our spots, but I think it could be worthwhile taking a hard look at playing on the Pelicans against the spread the next few weeks due to Mirotic. Caesars put up their Major League Baseball totals, their season regular season win totals for every single team. Uh, I think that was last week or the week before, but they were the first to put them up. It's a lot earlier than usual. Uh, sportsbooks tend to put that up a little bit later across Vegas, um, but you could also find them online as, at faraway places as well. But the Astros are the top projected team with 97.5 wins. The Dodgers are on top in the National League at 95 projected wins. The Cubs, 89 projected wins. And the lowest was the Cardinals, 59 projected wins. And also in the projected seller were the Marlins at 65.5 and some trash in the AL Central with the Tigers opening at 67 and the Royals at 69. Some teams have already taken some money and seen their win total move about one or two games, but those markets are still ripe for the picking. I think the limits are definitely smaller, but actually I know they are. But at the same time, if you want to get after those numbers before all the sharps get involved and the limits get higher, right now is your chance. Caesars, interestingly, also put up a two-win-the-NIT prop. Uh, so that's interesting. I think that's one I've never really seen before, a team to win the NIT in January. It's, uh, it involves a, it at least ushers in a two-pronged approach when you're handicapping that one. you got to find a team that is just not good enough to make it to the big dance, but a team that will be good enough to get into the NIT. Well, that's the first aspect. That they'll be good enough to get into the NIT, but... The second, and in my opinion, more important aspect is will they get up for the NIT if they make it to the NIT? A lot of teams, you see, just, you know, they're experimenting around or some top players will even sit out the NIT on certain teams, players that are looking to go pro. So um, I think that's an interesting handicap right now. I couldn't help but think that my my alma mater, Iowa Hawkeyes, could be a good a good one there. They always tend to start out the season stronger and then kind of fade down the stretch. It's kind of been their trend. I think they are a tournament team this year. I mean, they're ranked right now, but... I think that that's a team that kind of comes to mind for me right there. But I think if you're going to handicap that one, you got obviously that's that two-pronged approach, but it's a tough one because obviously they can't make the tournament. So you got to find a team that's going to still be disciplined enough in the NIT. There's a college basketball prop at the South Point Hotel and Casino in Vegas that I, I really like. And um, Jimmy Vaccaro, he runs the, the book over there still, or Chris Andrews and Jimmy Vaccaro. Jimmy Vaccaro with the famous phrase that I always say, that Joe's bet teams, pros bet numbers. Could not be any more true. But anyway, they have a prop at South Point that they posted that's already seen a lot of action on both sides. And the prop is to win the 2019 Men's College Basketball Championship, Duke, Michigan, Gonzaga, or Kansas versus the field. So 
And actually, the field is a little more juiced. I think it got up to minus 120 on the field. Last I saw, though, it was minus 115 on the field and minus 105 on Duke, Michigan, Gonzaga, and Kansas. But, I mean, if you're looking to bet Duke in Vegas to win it all, Duke Duke themselves, they're like plus 150, plus 200 to win it all. So I think you'd be stupid to just bet that. I think your better bet, obviously, is to to bet the minus 105 and loop in Gonzaga and Michigan and Kansas into that. Because with Gonzaga in there, I mean, Gonzaga is my second highest power rated team. I've been speaking about them all year. I think they're a great team. I think Duke and Gonzaga are my two projected teams to be in the national championship game. They're number one, number two in my power ratings that I'll touch on later. But um, also you're looking at Michigan, John Beeline team. He's, they're like tailor-made for the tournament, and he's, in my opinion, the best X's and O's coach in college basketball. And then you, you loop in Kansas into there too. Really the, the main teams that are in the field – in that proper Virginia, we know their history in, in March. Uh, Michigan State, who's actually coming on really strong right now, and then Tennessee. Those are the only, only other real contenders. So, as I said, my prediction's a Duke versus Gonzaga final. So, if you're in Vegas and you're trying to get on some value, I actually would hop on the four teams in that prop. Uh, there's a crazy run going on right now on NHL first period overs. And this has gone viral the past few weeks, so we are late to the party. Don't just go expecting to blindly play these now, but it applies to five teams in particular. That's the Chicago Blackhawks, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the San Jose Sharks, or I said it wrong, the San Jose Sharks, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. And these games haven't even been sweats. Like So many of them have been over within 5 to 10 minutes, and then that's it. You cash your, your ticket, and you don't even have to worry about the rest of the game. Uh, these are over in like 5, 10 minutes. Sometimes you see multiple goals being scored. But Tampa Bay had a run of like 18 straight first-period overs, and the Blackhawks, I believe they're on a 23-3 and run or something ridiculous like that. But obviously the books are adjusting. The books are aware of this, just like the market is, and the juice is being adjusted more and more every night. I think we're seeing a lot of them. Usually the lines are around 1.5. That's that's the usual first period total number, but you're seeing this number get juiced up. I mean, earlier it was like minus 125, minus 130. Now we're starting to see minus 175, minus 185 juice on this prop. So there's going to come that point, just like in any market, where the value gets dried up. But at the same time, people are just printing money, betting this blindly on these five teams recently on these first period overruns. So why stop now if you're them? But it's just something really interesting to uh, to pay attention to. All right, now let's dive into some quick college hoops talk. Everybody. All right, so I got a new feature I'm going to debut right now on this podcast it is the Doggy Juice Top 10 College Basketball Teams According to the Doggy Juice Model. Doggy Juice Top 10. Doggy Juice Top 10. Doggy Juice Top 10. Coming in at number one is, no surprise, Duke. Um, without Trey Jones in the lineup, this changes. Uh, the most recent update on Trey Jones is that his injury uh, to his shoulder is not going to be a season ender. He's out indefinitely right now, but... Coach K came out and basically said it's you know he will be back sooner rather than later. We don't know exactly when. It's very doubtful that he's going to play against Virginia tomorrow. But Duke is number one. Number two, Gonzaga. I've touched on them. They're uh, yeah, they're just a force, and I have them at ten to one right now. I recommend anybody looking to get involved in futures to scoop them up at ten to one soon. It's no surprise. I've, I've been talking about them. Uh, Killian Tilly's back. 
and Hachimura, such a stud. They're very well coached. They're deep. They have great guard play, and they have guys that can score and defend. Number three, Virginia. I got them at 18-1 to at the beginning of the year, but Virginia, I think they're on a mission after losing in the first round as the one seed, first ever team to do that last year. This team is just tailor-made to beat down on teams in the regular season. March is a different story, but I think they're going to bring that edge in March. And now I think this Virginia team is a little bit different than previous ones because these guys can actually score. They got Ty Jerome, who I'm going to touch on a little bit. But, yeah, I really like Virginia. Number four, Michigan State. I bumped them up after last night's win at Nebraska. Number five, Tennessee. Uh, many people actually argue they're playing the best ball in the entire country right now. Can't blame them. Sitting on a 35-1 to 1 ticket on them. Number six, Michigan. Obviously, I touched on him before, but Beeline is one of the best, if not the best, in my opinion, the best X's and O's coach in the entire country. And they're your prototypical great tournament team. But foul this one away, hot take. I think Michigan gets bounced early this year. I don't know why. I just have that feeling. It's just a weird feeling. And I have them at 33-1 to 1 as well, which I've touched on. Um, number seven, North Carolina. Number eight, Texas Tech. Still available at 45-1 to 1 in faraway places. At least they were earlier this week. Number nine, Kansas. And number 10, Auburn. But I have to acknowledge this. Charging up the ranks is Kentucky. And as that group of freshmen start to mold, that's kind of like their, their trend. They start out you know, a little cold because they got all those freshman guys before they go to the NBA, those one-and-done guys. But as Calipari molds them throughout the season, they just they improve so drastically, a lot more than normal teams, like a lot more. So watch out for them to make some noise in March. I think that happened last year as well. They made a deep run when they were kind of under the radar. It's, it was not the first time that happened. So Kentucky, honorable mention right there on that list. So I'll update my top 10 every week, but that's what they are right now at this point in time. Virginia, though, I just touched on them. They're 13-3 and against the spread. I think they have just a fire lit under their ass this year, and they are a little bit different than those previous Virginia teams. I think they, you know, they have that pack line defense, but now they got guys that can score. Shout out Ty Jerome! But they also just tear teams apart on defense. They frustrate teams. They are very efficient. They're they get back on defense. Everything across the board is very nice to watch. I mean, it's not the most exciting brand of basketball, but they're so efficient. And Virginia faces Duke on Saturday. And this one could be interesting because Virginia did win there last year. And the Duke power rating, it looks like, only dropped about half a point due to the Trey Jones injury. And I think that's not enough at all. So I actually might be looking to take a look at Virginia, depending on the number this weekend. Got to look at what the actual number is right now, but uh, they could be worth a look in that game, I think. They're tailor-made to beat Duke, and I think they're just they're going to look to keep that train rolling. At the same time, Duke coming off the home loss, you know they're going to be up for it. Um, I think a lot of this depends on the health of, of Cam Reddish, obviously the line as well. But that's going to be a really good game to watch this weekend. But Virginia, I think you got to foul it away right now. That's going to be the talk. It'll be the easy thing to say in March that, hey, they're just not a March team, but... I am seeing signs that this team is going to be, they're very distinguishable from past Virginia teams. And then when you factor in the fact that last year they, they blew it in the first round, I think they're going to bring that extra intensity in March. And just no holds barred, they're just going to destroy people, I think. 
Uh, the Pac-12 sucks. Uh, not a newsflash there, but football and basketball. Oregon is down now because Bull Bull is out for the season. New Bull's son. He's out uh, due to an injury. So it's looking like the Pac-12 could be a one-team conference in the big dance. They might just get the conference tourney, conference championship, uh, conference tournament, tournament championship winner into the big dance in March unless another team comes out of the crop. But every time you think a team's going to be pretty good, like Arizona State, they just lay an egg over and over again. So there's not much to love in the Pac-12. Um, but I'm really starting to dial in on these teams in college basketball. The database continues to get stronger. Nothing beats college hoops. So I'm very pumped to talk about it even more on this podcast as football really does dial down, sadly. It's going to be a full-on college basketball fest on the Doggy Juice Pod the next few months. All righty. Um, speaking of football, now let's touch on it. our preview of the NFL Conference Championship Games. Since 1990, there have been 17 straight-up underdog winners in the conference championship round that have gone to a Super Bowl, but only five of those underdogs were underdogs of three points or less. And we have a situation this weekend where it's kind of the dream of the NFL and football fans everywhere, number one versus number two in the NFC and AFC, all four teams that should be there. The first game is... Obviously, NFC, we've got the LA Rams visiting New Orleans. That spreads around three points. And then the second game, we have the Patriots visiting the Chiefs. Spread in that game is also three points. I've alluded to this earlier when the playoffs started. Value is already hard to come by in the NFL. And when you're trying to find value on the lines in these games, it's pretty much impossible in the later rounds of the playoffs. It's just the markets bet into them so much, the lines are sharp. So I'm not going to give you any side plays here because these these lines, they played these games 100 times. I think that the, what the line is is the most likely result. I'm not going to bet into something like that. It does not bring me an edge. Over 52.38% that we need to break even or better in the long run. So not about to bet into a 50-50 line on these. But I'm going to give you some tidbits right now in case you are looking to get involved in these games. Hopefully they'll let you at least see things from a different angle uh, before you make your wagers. But... Um, I will be looking to get involved in props in this, so stay tuned. Uh, check out Doggy Juice on Twitter and Instagram for any props that I might put up um, before the game's on Sunday. But let's dive right in. The NFC Championship game, uh, LA Rams at New Orleans. Even though you'll hear some people point out that Drew Brees and Sean Payton are undefeated in the playoffs at home at 6-0, and which is true, they won't talk about some of these bad Saints trends. In the playoffs, they've surprisingly done very poorly as home favorites. They're only 2-9 and nine against the spread as home favorites, and they're 0-6 against the spread as favorites of less than a touchdown. And their thing is, the Saints, the past few years, I guess their trend is they've beaten down on the worst teams, but they can't really cover against the good teams at home. And remember that the pressure, in my opinion, is all on the Saints here in this spot too. They're the favorites. But at the same time, Drew Brees does bring the experience where, obviously, Jared Goff does not. Um, The Rams bring the revenge angle because the Saints did beat them in New Orleans earlier this season. But Jared Goff has only thrown five touchdown passes in his last five games, and four of those were against the 49ers. So we have to hearken back. Earlier this year, one of the Doggy Juice best bets and um, a line, a a play that I gave out and was very gung-ho about was when... The Rams 
played the Saints in New Orleans earlier this year, the Rams were favored. And I actually got the Saints at plus two and a half at home in that game. And the Saints obviously ended up winning the game. It was a blowout. The Rams kind of came back in the fourth quarter to make it closer, but the Saints kind of blew them apart at the start of that game. And the Saints were underdogs. We've seen almost a six-point swing on that line since that game happened. Obviously, I think there was plenty of value on the Saints at that number. Um, here at this number, at this point in time, I think the line is correct, as I've touched on. But I can't help but think that the Cooper Cup absence still is hurting Jared Goff. Uh, they are a good dome team, and I obviously can't underestimate Sean McVay in this spot and the revenge angle too to come up with something. But I'm I'm not gonna I'm not coming out of pocket for this one. I will not be playing a side on this one. I actually lean to the under at the current number, but probably not enough for a ticket. I think I'm just gonna be looking at props for this one. But I think it's gonna be a really good game, and obviously I, I do think New Orleans wins this one more often than not. We'll just have to see what happens on Sunday. The AFC Championship game. Got the, the Patriots, who are always there, but usually they're playing this game at home every year. They're playing in Kansas City. The story on this one was the, the Arctic Blast possibility and the effect that that would have on the total. They're expecting a major uh, cold sweep to come into Kansas City around game time, but um, that's proving not to be the case now. The news this morning was on that, at least. So at the time, I didn't, I didn't think it was a bad idea to take a position on the under at the beginning of the week just because uh, it was a play on the under. Uh, it was almost like a free roll. Or if, you know, the weather got, you know, the weather forecast was bad and stayed bad, then the total can only drop, but it's not really going to raise much. But now it looks like it's pretty clear, so no dice for me on the total. I do have a slice of first half under 28 in pocket at, at low juice, but that's all I got involved on that one. Actually, <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm not even the biggest fan of that play right now with the with the weather forecast, but... In terms of trends, this is a Mark Lawrence special, the trend master. Anytime a team scores 40 or more points in a playoff game, their next playoff game, they're just 5-25-1 against the spread. It's a big-time regression to the mean in the very next game. And even more so, to, to compartmentalize this one even more, if in a divisional round game, if that spot, you know, they score 40 or more points in a divisional round game and then they go into a championship game like New England is this week, those teams are 2-11-1 against the spread. So Patriots, that's not a good trend for them uh, moving into this week. The biggest surprise for me when diving into this one was the big home-road dichotomy between these two teams. Kansas City has been just a completely different defense at home, especially only allowing 17.4 points per game at home whereas they're averaging 34.6 points per game on the road. That's a 17.2 net difference per game. New England, they're on the opposite end. They're allowing 17.9 points per game at Foxborough, but giving up 24.0 points per game on the road. That's a 6.1 point difference there. And on top of that, another stat that is noteworthy, New England was at home for three games in a row heading into this game. They've just been sitting around Foxborough or sitting around their homes past month. Um, but teams in the NFL playoffs on the road after playing three games straight at home are 3-14 and 14 straight up and against the spread in that next game. So these home road splits are massively in the Chiefs' favor. But on the flip side, we have Bill Belichick versus Andy Reid. Andy Reid is the best there is with extra time to prepare, but Belichick is the master. He takes every edge that he can. Like, for example, um, Belichick knows to run down the clock uh, when, when the team's trying to run down the clock at the end of the game, they could take a flag and punt formation to keep the clock running. 
It's a very sharp move. I love that edge. So when you're looking at stuff like that, Belichick is known for obviously taking out a team's top option and making you beat them another way. I do expect a ground and pound by the Patriots this week. Um, and some personnel stuff from Warren Sharp, who I think is the best in the business, diving into his analytics on personnel groupings. I'm going to do a quick explanation on this. So the first number relates to, and I'm going to get into 21 personnel. And I touched on this uh, with the Bears a couple weeks back on 12 personnel. But basically the numbers I'm going to say in terms of personnel, the first number relates to running backs. The second number relates to tight ends. And then the wide receiver population is a total of five minus the sum of those first two. So, for example, 21 personnel is two running backs, the two, and one tight end. And that equals three, and five minus three means there's two wide receivers. So 21 personnel, you have two running backs, one tight end, and obviously two wide receivers because there's five total. So Warren notes that all four of the remaining teams each do something that is abnormal compared to the construction of most NFL rosters, and they do that particular thing very well. For the Patriots, it's with the aforementioned 21 personnel that I said, the two running backs and one tight end, two wide receivers. The Patriots use 21 personnel on 29% of their snaps, whereas the NFL averages 7%. What is the weakness for the Chiefs defense? You guessed it, defending the 21 personnel is a huge weakness for the Chiefs defense, especially against the run. But on the flip side, the Chiefs are really good at attacking out of 11 personnel runs, whereas the Patriots are especially poor at defending that. And so there's kind of a cat and mouse here. Um, and I think it's not really good for the under. It does not bode well for the under, uh, that information. But you saw this reasoning um, a couple weeks ago. I mentioned it on the podcast with, in the Bears and Eagles game. And I hate to bring this up, Bears fans, but um, Warren Sharp was all over this. That the Bears were not used to 12 personnel. That's two tight end sets with one running back. And the Eagles ran a lot more of that than most teams. The Bears saw the least amount of 12 personnel of any team in the NFL, and you saw the Bears get exposed in that game. I think there was a big hidden factor in that game. So this info, as I've said, does not bode well for the under since it kind of plays in for the offenses. But I do expect a lot of running in this one. There's just, unfortunately, there's no good value on the board for me. I wish I could give you guys a winner on this. I think if you're looking at, I've touched on it, the money line um, favorite angle, I think the since the public's going to bet the shit out of the underdogs, especially at the last minutes on the money line to get the plus money payout, you probably could find some value on the home teams if you're looking to go their way. On the money line price, I heard some, at least one book in Vegas was offering the Chiefs at minus 140 money line, which is which is low. I think that should be around like minus 155, minus 160. So if you're looking to get involved in one of the home favorites, I would fire on the money line. Um, right before kickoff. If you're looking to get involved in the money line, I'm one of the underdogs. I would do it sooner rather than later. But besides that, uh, no good value for me on this board. I can't give you any uh, any good winners or leans here. I think turnovers will end up deciding both of these games. Um, no big shocker there, but they're going to be fantastic to watch. And it's going to be really good. I think we're going to see a lot of points in these as well, which is great. And then the best part is the Super Bowl. No matter what the matchup is, we're going to see a high total, which is just it's great for props. It's going to be so much fun. The Vegas props this year that they're going to take on the Super Bowl is going to shred the record, uh, the previous record, even with people still going to New Jersey to bet for the Super Bowl. I'm really excited to see New Jersey's numbers, but it's going to be an exciting Super Bowl no matter what we get. So I hope everybody enjoys the two games this weekend. Just make sure you bet smart. I mean, 
just because the game's happening doesn't mean you have to bet on it. I've harped on that from the beginning. I understand wanting to have a rooting interest in the game and that angle. I totally get that, but just be smart about it. You know, if you're losing on this game, like I've said, it's a coin toss. Flip a coin. But if you feel one certain way, bet it. Uh, look at the props, and I will definitely be looking to post some sort of props uh, on the games myself. But I'll be back next week with a guest who is in Vegas this weekend. He's one of my old buddies, and he's out there for work, but he's also attacking the sports books. He's going to give me his view from Vegas. I actually might even get him on from Vegas. might record this weekend. I'm not sure, but for sure going to bring him on next week at some point if I don't bring him on this weekend to record. But view from Vegas next week, and then in the next couple weeks, I'm going to dive into the Super Bowl and Super Bowl props with multiple guests. I'm going to bring multiple guys on. We're going to dive into that. Got obviously two weeks from this Sunday to just dive into the Super Bowl props, the matchups, the value, and bring home everybody some winners. Looking forward to that. But other than that, college hoops is heating up. We're coming off a 6-1 and one night last night on Posted Plays on Doggy Juice Twitter and Instagram, so pay attention to those. Just a reminder, we're trying to hit that 55%. Um, college basketball's a grind. It really is. There's going to be nights where you just get hosed. And then there's other nights where we're going to do really well, like the six and one light night last night. So you just got to really not get bogged down in the day to day as much. And for me, I'm just looking at the next, once my bets are in, I'm just looking at my next bets. And that's what you got to do. You cannot get, uh, let yourself <laughs> get driven crazy by these, these end game shenanigans, especially in college basketball, because they will happen. Bad beats galore happen in college basketball, but College basketball totals especially are where the best value edges are, in my opinion, and I'm going to keep beating that. So feel free to follow me, but don't be um, taken aback by or, or discouraged by a, a bad day or even a bad week. I mean, hell, even a bad month. But just stick into the process. Looking forward to, to getting more winners going and really starting to dive deep into that because we are in full swing in conference play now in college hoops. So it's a lot of fun. But yeah, we'll be back next week with a view from Vegas and a look at the a first look at the Super Bowl matchup in college basketball. Everyone enjoy their weekends and make sure you check out Doggy Juice Twitter and Instagram and uh, smash that subscribe button, like, leave a review, comment, whatever. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Hope everyone wins your bets this weekend and I will talk to you next week. Doggy Juice out. <laughs>